Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. God's grace is relentless for our good. Today we'll see Jesus use three parables featuring a lost sheep, a coin, and a son to show how the grace of God pursues after the lost and will not rest until the lost has returned. Part three of Cheryl's message titled Scandalous Grace. They weren't there to criticize or critique, but to listen and to get as close to him as possible. This greatly upset the Pharisees and scribes, and they began to murmur about Jesus as they looked on. And they said this, this man receives receives. What is it to receive? He lets these sinners and tax collectors come to him. He actually welcomes them. He treats them with value and he eats with them. In that Eastern culture, to eat with sinners was to fellowship or become one with them. Because in still, I love that Israel House retained so much of its history, even in the way their banquets are. They still have the different, you know, the hummus and the different dips, and they give you the bread, the unleavened bread, and you're dipping it. One is olive oil and hyssop. That sends me to heaven that makes me come back to earth as soon as I swallow. I just love the flavor of it. It's so delicious. But it's still, you're all dipping from this same bowl. And you know, there are always double dippers. So you're taking in some of their germs and saliva. For some of you that are germophobics, you're going, but if you understood even in, you know, your air, your skin absorbing, you are, you are getting a lot of skin cells you didn't want. But it was seen and interpreted as an endorsement of the person or sin, as if Jesus was condoning it. But even though Jesus received sinners and tax collectors, they never stayed that way. They never left his presence the way they came in. In a few weeks, we'll study about Zacchaeus, and he's a tax collector. And when he meets Jesus, his life is absolutely transformed. Matthew was a tax collector. He left his tax office to follow Jesus. He was never the same. Peter was a gruff old fisherman, very ambitious, very self-centered. He was transformed in the presence of Jesus. The sons of thunder, James and John, John became the disciple of love. Jesus received sinners, but 
they leave cleansed and changed. Paul speaking to the Corinthians said, there are in this world the, the homosexuals, the defiled, the murderers, the liars. And he goes into this just this whole scandalous list of different sins and lifestyles. And then he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were cleansed. You were changed by Jesus. Jesus absolutely transforms to such a degree that he said to Peter, what God has cleansed, let no man call common. Don't take value away from that which God has cleansed. In response to the criticism of these Pharisees, Jesus tells three parables. And remember, Parable is a story that illustrates heavenly realities. And the story is of a lost sheep, verses 4 through 7, a lost coin, verses 9 and 10, and a lost son, verses 11 through 32. In each of these parables, there are things that aren't lost. Ninety-nine sheep stay in the pen. Nine silver coins are still where they're supposed to be. And there's a son that never leaves home. In each of these parables, there is a relentless search for the one that is lost. There's a search in the wilderness, there's a search in a house, and there's a search on the road. There is no satisfaction, resignation in each of these parables until the lost is found. This shepherd searches until he finds that sheep. The woman searches until she finds that lost coin. The father watches the road until he sees his son. Each was lost in a different place, wilderness, house, and to worldly indulgences, prodigal living. They were lost by different people, and yet no shame is ascribed to the person who lost something. The shepherd is not condemned or blamed for the lost sheep. The woman is not blamed or accused for the lost coin. And the father is not blamed or accused for the prodigal. Different means are employed to find the lost. For the shepherd, there is a leaving. For the woman, there is a cleaning. For the father, there is an obsessive watching of the road. And then in each of the three parables, there is a shared joy. The shepherd calls his friends and neighbors to rejoice, verse 6. The woman calls her friends and neighbors to rejoice, verse 10. The father puts a robe on the son that is returned. He gives him a new ring, sandals on his feet, has a banquet in his honor, and kills the fatted calf. Grace goes relentlessly after the lost. Grace refuses to be satisfied with the secured. The banquet house is not filled yet. Grace pursues after the lost. Grace will go to great lengths to bring back the lost. Jesus went to where the lost were. He went to the wilderness. He went to the house. He went to the road. He came into the world. He walked along its shores. He went into houses, to banquets, to synagogues, towns, and villages. Grace will not rest 
until the lost is returned. You know, sometimes you might be able to sleep at night even though you've got a prodigal, but Grace never sleeps. Grace can't rest until that prodigal is returned. Grace employs different means to reclaim the lost. The shepherd not only went into the wilderness, but he picked up the sheep and carried the sheep on his shoulders. That's what it took to reclaim this lost, was to go after him and to pick him up, embrace him, and put him on his shoulders and walk him back. The woman who employed a light, she had to bring a light to her house and shine it in every corner of her house and sweep out the house. The father had to let his son go and give him the financial backing to fulfill all his ambition and lust. He had to let this son go. So grace will do whatever is necessary. Search out, clean out, give out, watch and wait. Grace employs searching out the promises of God. Grace employs cleansing our own heart. Grace employs prayers and waiting. Grace rejoices over the loss that is found. Divine joy, all of heaven erupting with joy. Because all of heaven knows the cost of grace. They know that this one was ransomed from the grip of death. I recently watched a YouTube on eagles. It was really unnerving. Because it showed this eagle and it showed these little wolf puppies. And the mom had left them to get some food. And she saw the eagle. And of course, you know, the camera pans to the mother. And she's looking up. And it pans to the eagle. And it's swirling around. And then it pans to the three little puppies that are playing that don't realize what's happening. And then the eagle starts coming down. And the mother sees. And she's jumping down. And she's running as fast as she can. And the next thing you know, the eagle swoops down and grabs this little pup and goes flying off with it. And of course, as if I needed commentary, and that pup did not live. Ah! You know, I was already like, I want the puppy back, you know? But I was thinking that heaven sees the eagle and it sees the little pups playing. Heaven sees Satan for the lion he is. And he, it sees Satan prowling and looking to devour his prey. And then they watch as Jesus, the king of glory, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the greater lion, ransoms the lost, binds up their wounds, and brings healing and restoration and health to them. In 1 Peter 1.12, it says that angels marvel and desire to look into the salvation of men. They're just kind of like, why? Why? You are so magnificent. You are so great. Why? You love these men so much. Why? In fact, the word used for angels' desire to look into these things is they, they obsessively or they obsess over how to understand. They're watching. The third parable about this son really brings grace home, doesn't it? The father has two sons. One is righteous, the other unrighteous. One son disqualifies himself. He makes this bed. 
He asks and receives his inheritance, his full inheritance. He is not entitled to anything else or more from his father. He deserts his father. He leaves his father and journeys to a far country. He is irresponsible and wasteful. He spends his entire allotment. He is self-indulgent. He uses all the money that his father saved up, that his father worked hard for on bad things on disreputable things, on things his father would never approve of, all of it. Then we're told that he actually joins himself when everything is squandered. Instead of returning to his father, he joins himself with the citizens of that other country. He becomes one with them. He changes nationalities. Now, We would think, leave him to his fate. He deserves what he got. He made his bed. He needs to lie in it. And we're told that the prodigal son began to be in want. There was a journey. There was a lifestyle. There was a process necessary to bring this son to his senses. When he began to be in want, he did not return. But he joined himself to the citizens of that country. He hired himself out of as a servant to feed the swine. And his life was so bad that he began to long for the pig's food. Swine food looked really good to him. God knows what it will take to bring the lost back home. I think too often that we interrupt the process of grace. Grace often gives that person everything that he always thought he wanted and lets them feel the leanness, the emptiness, the dissatisfaction. Let's it all be taken away. In verse 17, we're told that it was at this time that he came to his senses. This phrase, came to his senses, is used two other times in the Old Testament, speaking of prodigals. It was a term that I circled and I would pray and pray and pray over two of my children, that they would come to their senses. How did this son come to his senses? Suddenly he realized how bad his life had become. He realized where he was at. See, he didn't realize how bad it was for so long. I mean, he joins the other country. He hires himself as a servant. He's hungry. He's in want. There's a famine in this country. I mean, it's a really dumb thing to become a citizen of a starving country. That's just not a wise idea. But that's what he does. And then he's living among pigs. He's living with pigs. Sometimes that's what it takes to live with pigs before someone comes to their senses. And then he began to realize how rich his life had been with his father, how good he had had it before when he had been in his father's house, how great his father's love had been, how kind his father's voice had been, how delicious and ample 
and abundant his father's food had been. How wanted, how welcomed, how comfortable his bed, his room, his placement had been. He realized how undeserving he was of his father's goodness and kindness and love. And he was willing at this point to go back as a servant on whatever terms his father deemed. He was willing to accept the terms just to be in his father's house. He wasn't anymore insisting on his entitlements or what he felt he deserved. He was now willing to place himself completely under his father. And he rehearsed what he would say to his father. He rehearsed that he would say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He rehearsed. Imagine the condition that this son returned in. He left with his signet ring. He left robust, well-fed, dressed well, good-looking. And he returned wasted, in want, withered, starving, looking like a homeless man, no doubt with a wretched smell like pigs, but repentant, sorry for what he had done, ready to confess and admit his wrong, willing to take whatever his father would offer, appreciative of all his father was, all his father had, and all his father had done, and wanting more than anything just to be in his father's house. Neither the place the son had been or the process the son had experienced, the lifestyle that had been his, made any difference to the father. The son was anticipated. The father was watching for him, verse 20. The father obsessively watched the road and recognized his son even when he was a great way off. And the father went running to meet the son, even when he was a great way off. The son was welcomed. The son was embraced. The father had compassion on him, fell on his neck, kissed him. The father restored him, verse 22, best robe, bring on his hands, sandals on his feet. The father rejoiced over him, verse 23, ordered the fatted calf, called for feast, publicly acknowledged him, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He was the trophy at that banquet. He was the guest of honor. The banquet was all about the son's return and the father was married. But there's one more character in this scenario. There's the older brother who is working in the field, working to please his father, thinking that by his productivity, he will get the father's favor. He hears the music. He sees the dancing. He makes inquiries as to what is going on. He's told, your brother has come. And because the father received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. This brother heard the merriment, saw the dancing, asked questions, but became angry. He refused to go into the banquet or be a part of it. He dismissed his father's appeal. He rehearsed his own righteousness. Rather than feeling that he's undeserving, 
He tells his father why he's so deserving. I've served you many years. This is a work basis. I've never transgressed your commandment. He compared himself with his sinful brother. He complained about his father's actions. I never got a goat. You never rejoiced over me in this way. My brother wasted his life with prodigal living with prostitutes and such. The brother, because he trusted in his own righteousness, could never enter into the feast. He could never enjoy the banquet. He could never embrace his father's joy. And he could never inherit everything that the father had for him. The father says, you have been with me all my life and everything I have is yours. Why can't you rejoice over this? Now think about this. This son still hadn't gotten everything he was entitled to. He was the other son. But in order for his prodigal brother to come in, you see, the father took the signet ring, probably the other brother's signet ring, and put it on the lost. He took a robe. Where did that robe come from? The other brother's inheritance and put it on the son. The fatted calf, he gave it to the one who had been lost and now was found. This older brother's inheritance was diminished in order to bring the prodigal in. And the older brother did not want to give up anything for the prodigal. You see, we want prodigals. We want them to come, but we don't want to give anything up. The prodigal, it will cost for the prodigal to come home. This older brother found grace scandalous because it was received, rescued, restorative, and rewarded to the lost. Today, we are here because of God's great grace. None of us has worked hard enough, earned, or lived up to the standard of God's righteousness. Only Jesus has lived as we should. But Jesus, by his life and by his death, brought grace to our lives. Now, by grace, we who were the maimed, the lame, the blind, the poor, have been received, have been rescued, have been restored, have been rewarded. And there is no other way to God but through grace. Our own righteous regard for ourselves and our goodness and our righteousness will leave us out in the field of works and leave us out of the feast of joy. This is the scandalous grace that Jesus brought, grace that receives prodigals. This is the grace that God is calling us to embrace today, this scandalous grace And when you embrace this scandalous grace, you will have esteem and value for people lost and found. This grace will humiliate you and then exalt you. This grace will bring you into God's eternal and great banquet 
but this grace will cost you relationships, possessions, and position. But it will give you a house and it will give you the victory and it will bring you ultimately in the joy and rejoicing of heaven by the grace of Jesus Christ. Receive this scandalous grace and pray that it might so fill your frame that this is the grace you know, this is the grace you understand, and this is the grace you give. In the book of Ephesians, it tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. By the life and death of Jesus, grace was offered to us. Now by that same grace, we who were maimed, lame, blind, and poor have been received, rescued, restored, and rewarded. God is calling us to embrace His scandalous grace today so it can work in and through us. As we do, we'll become more like Jesus and less like the older brother who is in the field of works and unable to enter the feast of joy. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at how we can have an eternal perspective as we continue our Jesus Magnified study in the Gospel of Luke with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.